Well, hello, my name is Adam. I'm a pastor here at the Neighborhood Church. I'm really glad to see you all. Uh, would you do me a favor and would you turn to Acts chapter 10? If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, it'll be on the screen and there's also one in the seat back in front of you. We're going to be there in just a moment. Well, this Monday, my wife Amy and I will celebrate seven years of marriage. Uh, yes. Thank you. It's just seven, but it's a big deal for us. Seven whole years of marriage. And what we do each anniversary or around our anniversary is we watch our wedding DVD for two reasons. The first reason is because we're super cheesy like that, and that's just kind of what we like to do. We like to watch that. We like to see how we've changed, how I've expanded over the years. Uh, it's funny to see seventh grade Adam without a big beard. Uh, and it's also just funny to reflect on how much has changed even in seven years' time. But the second reason we watch our wedding DVD is because really and truly, honestly, I really mean this, our wedding was one of the greatest days of our lives. And I know that sounds cheesy too, but it really was. And it was, for one reason, because we had such a terrible time planning it. I mean, I don't care who you are or how great your family is. When you plan a wedding, it is a disaster. I mean, I'm sure not for you, Sarkis clan and all. But for the rest of us, planning a wedding is stressful. And so, in part, it was kind of like this great relief. Like, after all this money, after all these plans, after all these wrangling of this family member who doesn't speak to this family member and all this other stuff, it was just this beautiful release. But more than that, it was a great and fun day. It was also a sacred and special day. And one of the things that I will share in just one week's time with two people sitting right here, whoop, whoop, holla. The reason it's such a sacred and beautiful time, whether it was May 29th of 2010 or June 3rd, 2017 with Brennan and Sarah next week, it's such a sacred time because the God who created the heavens and the earth and all things is still in the business of creating. And what happens mysteriously in a wedding is God takes two individuals and he creates one new family. And so one way we bear witness to this and one way we did this at our wedding is the unity ceremony. How many of you have seen a unity candle or seven years ago it was unity sand. There was a lot. We had sand at our wedding. Side note, we never came home with that sand. We bought like the matching colors and we had this vase and somewhere after the ceremony and we take pictures and we go to the reception, the church custodian had found it looked at it, and decided, oh yeah, this belongs in the trash. And he literally threw away our face and our sand. So the other reason we watch the wedding DVD is to remember that we had a unity ceremony because it ain't on our bookshelf at home. But that's a side note, and I'll carry on. I'm talking about the unity ceremony, unity plants, these kinds of things. The reason we do that, and if you pay attention, is because you have both sets of parents at the beginning processing down, and they each come and they participate by setting aside a jar of this or that, or they light this candle, and then what happens after the vows, and after the rings, and after the pronouncement of marriage, what happens then? Then they kind of awkwardly shuffle the bride and groom, and they go back to where the stand or the table is, and what do they do? 
They take those two distinct things from two distinct families and they show and bear witness to the reality that God has now created a new family, right? And so this is what is bearing witness to not just the marriage relationship, but also what happens in a church relationship worldwide, and that is this. God loves to unite diverse individuals in the name of Jesus within the Holy Spirit. So bigger than just two people becoming one and a unity ceremony, it's a picture of the broader community in Kenya, in Russia, in Mexico, in Texas, in New York, in Australia. Fill in the blank. Wherever there are God's people, there is God's Spirit, and He's uniting all of these diverse people under one family name, Father, Son, Spirit. And so the reason why we've been living in Acts chapter 10 in this month is this. Because everywhere else in those countries I just listed, what we see is division. And yes, we see diversity, but God is at work trying to unite what's divided. And the church should be a place where we have a unity in diversity. Because what unites us, Father, Son, and Spirit, is bigger than what divides us. And so what we have seen in Acts chapter 10 in these last three weeks is how the Holy Spirit of God is bringing two different people from two different families into one kingdom family. Two different people, Peter and Cornelius, from two different people groups. The Jews who said, this is the boundary of God's holy people, you're either in or you're out. And then Cornelius, who is from the enemy Roman Empire nation that killed the Jewish king Jesus, he took these two distinct people groups and he made them one. It happened in the living room in Acts chapter 10, and tonight is our thrilling conclusion of the Holy Spirit bringing these two people together. And what he's about to do is bring these two people groups together. And here's how. If you'll join me in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, I won't invite you to stand this week because it's a lengthy passage, but I want you to see it in three sections. Okay? So in just a moment, I'm going to read the whole passage, and I'm going to kind of guide you to these three distinct sections. And then after this, we're going to spend the remainder of our time looking at three distinct reminders. As we close out this series called Spirit Sent, we're going to see the thrilling conclusion, right? That's like a cliffhanger on a show where I remember the old Happy Days famous jumping the shark. Y'all remember? Like he's like, will Fonzie do it? And they freeze frame, right? That's where we left off last week. Now we're going to see Peter and Fonz land the thing. You with me? Whatever. Let's look at the scripture. Beginning in verse 34. Three sections. The first section is this. Peter opens his mouth and he's about to share first what he's learned in these visions and what God has had for him. This is section number one. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So that's section one we'll look at in just a moment. And then he's going to jump into, here is the story of God in the person of Jesus. And then he rails into the body of his sermon beginning in verse 36. You with me? He says to Cornelius and his friends and all those gathered, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Then he says, we are witnesses. We being Peter, the disciples, the apostles. We're witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. But they killed him by hanging him on a cross. Freeze. Who's the they Peter's talking about? They would be Cornelius's boss. So you talk about a hostile audience. This dude just walked a day and a half, shows up, and the first ten words he's saying is, hey, you killed Jesus, the Lord of all. That's a tough sell, isn't it? But what he's saying is truth, and what he's saying is revolutionary because of what he says in verse 40. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Then verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Pause. Surely that extends to Cornelius and the enemies and the Romans and the military officers that he just gave them the hard truth. Now he gives them the soft and gracious and beautiful invitation. Hey, there's forgiveness and I'm here to tell you you're invited in too. That's a gospel of peace. Verse 44, let's finish reading and then we'll circle back. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came and ruined his sermon. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. It's incredible. And the circumcised believers, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished (gasps) that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Because what he's saying is, yo, they just got baptized with the Spirit of God. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we order that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter, they being Cornelius and all of his friends and family, to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. The three reminders we want to see in this powerful passage, the first section being Peter saying, hey, here's what I've learned. The second section being, here's the gospel message I've been brought to teach you. And then the third section we just read is that the Holy Spirit comes and seals them. And here's the three reminders. The first is this, God is not the bouncer of an elite club. If you are in Jesus, you are in the party. 
This is what we see in the thrilling conclusion of Acts chapter 10. And Peter leads by saying, here's what I've learned. God is not a bouncer. He's not looking at your clothes and making sure you're fit to enter into the club. If you come to Jesus, you're in the party. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The second reminder we're going to see when Peter is telling his message, he says we are called to declare and demonstrate the gospel. It's not just Peter said, hey, Jesus is Lord of all. I'm going to demonstrate it by being in this house with all of you folks. Three days ago, I would have never set foot in this house, but I'm going to demonstrate the good news I'm telling you because God says he's the Lord of all and all people are invited for forgiveness. The third thing, and we'll see this when we close in just a moment, is that as we walk in the Spirit, our job is to pay attention to God and respond appropriately. If I could summarize what it means to follow Jesus, I would almost just narrow it down to this statement. As we walk in the Spirit, our job is to pay attention and respond appropriately. Day in, day out, pay attention, respond appropriately. You'll remember we just read Peter is paying attention when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're speaking in tongues and he says, well, let me respond and make this thing official and I'll baptize them in the family name. That's where we're headed and our thrilling conclusion of our sermon series in Acts chapter 10. And I want to hit that first reminder. If you circle back with me and look again at verses 34 to 35, Peter says this incredible thing that God does not show favoritism. And the Adam version of that was that first statement that says God is not the bouncer of an exclusive club. If you are in Jesus, you are in the party. And I want you to imagine then, like you've seen either in Uptown or you've seen in the movies, you see some kind of elite club that may not even have a neon sign because it's so exclusive, y'all. But you just know that, like, this is something. Why? Because you've got a line out the door a mile long, right? And what's by the line? It's that velvet rope. And what's at the front of the line? A bouncer. And he is the gatekeeper of the velvet rope. I've never stood in one of these lines. I prefer to walk into clubs looking more like this. And my button is busted. So I would never make it into this club because what does the bouncer do? I just need to tell you, my button is busted. It's been bugging me already. I wouldn't make it into the club because the bouncer would look at me and he would say, dude, this is a thrift store shirt. And then he would look at these attractive people behind me and he would probably point out a few and then what? You've seen the movies. He waves them in. And I think if we're not careful, the church can view ourselves as an exclusive club We all think the same, we pray the same, we sing the songs that we know and maybe these other nice people don't know and we can almost begin to say like this is a club just like any other club, like a country club or an uptown club or you name it. But the mistake is when we let that story and that narrative drive us, we can believe that God might be the same way. Here's what God cares about if he's the bouncer of the line All peoples are now invited to line. All peoples are welcome to come. And the only thing he cares about is not your clothes, is not your race, is not your ethnicity, is not your background, is not your bank account. All he cares is, do you know Jesus? When we see the Father, when we see the end of it all, I'm more and more convinced that he'll say, do you believe that Jesus loved you? 
The litmus test to get into the kingdom party is Jesus. He is the doorway. He's seeking. He's knocking. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. If you come through Jesus, you're into the party. But if you look back at verses 35 and 34, you see Peter says, I now realize that God shows no favoritism. That's what I wanted to try to illustrate. He does not discriminate. But if you look at verse 35, you might say, well, Adam, look, what, he's, what is he saying? Because he says he accepts from every nation those who what? Look at your Bibles. Fear God and do what's right. So now you might be saying, well, wait a minute, Adam. You just said the door to get in is Jesus. Peter, it sounds like he's saying he's going to accept everybody if they would just fear God and do what's right. Let me tell you what Peter's not saying. You're good with God no matter what. Or even he's not saying you're good with God if you just fear God and do right. What he means by accepted is are you in Jesus? Are you in the kingdom? Because if it was just enough to fear God and do what's right, he wouldn't have to be there to tell Cornelius about Jesus. What he is saying is God does not show favoritism when it comes to who's welcomed into relationship with me. Cornelius did fear God. Cornelius did um, live rightly. Cornelius did these things. He was seeking after God. So what he's saying is God will see you. He sees you seeking. But there is still a next step to take. And I am utterly convinced of this because then Peter spends the next ten minutes of a sermon telling the story of Jesus. If God would accept everybody no matter what, if that's what he was saying, then we wouldn't have the New Testament telling us every page, Jesus, Jesus, come to Jesus, repent, believe in Jesus. He's all you need. It doesn't mean sacrifice. It doesn't mean church. It doesn't mean Lord's Supper. It means Jesus. The door is Jesus. Are you going to Jesus? Everything else keeps you in step with the story of Jesus, but Jesus is the door. Can I say Jesus enough? If Cornelius could just fear God and do what's right, and that gets him saved, or however you want to call it, he wouldn't have to hear about Jesus. What Peter is saying, God accepts those who seek him, fear him, do these things, but you still got to walk through the door of Jesus. And you have to understand this is revolutionary because for centuries, religion was cultural and tribal. The Jewish people were a Jewish nation and a Jewish ethnicity with Jewish customs. Centuries later, you have Islam born, and it's a cultural and political system, and it's uh, predominantly an ethnic and national state. You have, even if you look at some other Americanized denominations, it's a cultural and tribal type of deal. But the church of Jesus and the Holy Spirit extends and becomes so much bigger than we can ever Imagine, it's not a cultural exclusive club, and so the question for us is, what kind of club might we be facilitating and managing? Are we more exclusive than God is? Are we more exclusive, and how instructive is this when we consider the other brothers and sisters who are Catholic, who are Orthodox, who are Methodist, who are Baptist, who are you fill in the blank, Presbyterian Reformed, who are the mega church people who I hear us talking a lot about how they spend their money? When Jesus prayed for those of us who are standing here today, he prayed that we would be 
one. And we continue and persist, even within the family, to actively be a non-answer to Jesus' prayer. God shows no favorites Regardless of your denomination, God sees you. If you are in Jesus, you're a beloved son or daughter, and that's what matters. Not Adam the Baptist or my grandfather the Catholic or the whoever the whatever. He sees Adam the son, Amy the daughter, Don the son, and on and on it goes. Our churches, I think, can get too small And we need to be a church that follows Peter's example of seeing that God doesn't show favorites. But if you're in Jesus, he accepts from all peoples, all nations, and yes, maybe even all denominations. That's why on our website, we try to have the most basic statement. Our statement of faith is the Apostles' Creed. And it's what over a billion Christians on this world can say yes and amen to. And in our little church, yes, we're connected to an Ecclesia network that's a relational network of churches, but we don't have a denominational affiliation. We do have these core convictions, and I say that helps kind of form us and tell you this is the air and water you're breathing, or the water you're swimming in and the air you're breathing. But if you want to belong, if you want to be on mission, can you say yes and amen to what unites us with the Catholics, the Orthodox, the on and on it goes? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. We want to make bare minimum so where we can stand with Peter and Cornelius and all those down the line and say yes and amen. That's our first reminder. God doesn't show favorites. He's not an exclusive bouncer. The second thing, when Peter opens his mouth, he's preaching the gospel. And our reminder tonight, number two, is that we're called to declare and demonstrate the gospel. Now what is the gospel. This will be on the screen here. If you've been to a new member orientation of uh, the neighborhood church or been around long enough, you've probably heard this definition. This definition is what unites us with all of these people. It's bigger than what divides us. And this is the gospel that Peter is saying in a nutshell. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And all people are invited to live under his gracious reign. First thing, Peter says at the beginning of this sermon, he says, you've heard the message and peace. So all of a sudden you need to be thinking this is news. This is an announcement. And it's about peace between God and it's about peace between humanity. And what he's saying is this is good news for all people. And if you look at this text we read earlier, he says Jesus is Lord of all, verse 36. So this is for all people. The Jewish king is the king of all, and then he's inviting us all to live under this gracious reign. So hear this. It's about how you live now, not just where you're going to live then. You hear me? Those who have ears to hear, hear me say the gospel is so much bigger than I can pray a prayer and go to heaven when I die. If you read the gospels, you will never see Jesus say that. But we want to cheapen it and shorten it and fit it into a box when what God is saying, there's such a bigger story you're invited into. 
Yes, you can live with him forever, but it's the story of all that Jesus is doing, and it culminates in the victory of his death and resurrection. You can live with him forever, but you can also live with him and bring his kingdom here on earth now. Why do we gather? Why do we show up every Saturday and take a nap while I'm preaching? I'm joking. We gather to remember the gospel, the story that unites us and it's bigger than what divides us in our petty Facebook arguments. We gather to be reminded that we're swept up into a story that is so much bigger and better than all the alternative stories offered by our culture. The alternative story that says if you would just make more and spend more, you'll have and be more. The alternative story that says, if you would just do you and have fun and do what you want, when you want, you'll be satisfied. Our story says, Christ is your life. You're in him and he is life that is abundant and it's better. We come to be reminded that his story is better and it's better than the alternative stories. And you know what? Cornelius had a story Cornelius was a Roman military officer, and his Roman military general was the emperor. And the emperor, Caesar, Augustus, they all had the title Caesar at some point or another, Nero, you name it, Octavian. Here's the deal. They all came and said this, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And they would come to the nation and they would say, here's a gospel, a good news of peace. Come and live with us or die by our swords. Does that sound like peace? Peace through war? Peter opens his mouth and he's going to highlight for Cornelius and his family these seven things and he's going to wrap up Jesus' story that's way bigger than Caesar's and it's the story of the wholeness of Scripture. And the first thing we see is that God sent the gospel of peace through Jesus. And you can write down if you're taking notes. We're not going to turn there. We don't have time. But Isaiah 52, 7. This is the echo of the story that predates Jesus that says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. What are they saying? Isaiah 52, 7 says, Your God reigns, not Caesar. Jesus reigns, not President Trump. Jesus reigns, not Vladimir Putin. Jesus reigns, not you. The gospel says you are a crummy Lord of your life, but Jesus is Lord of all, and he offers you peace in life if you would come to him. And I'm telling you, when you live under him, it's not going to look like a Roman military campaign. It's going to look like abundant life, and it's going to look like a gracious reign of love and peace, and our churches can be a signpost to that. Because number two, he says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. When? At his baptism. And this is signifying and echoing how God would anoint Old Testament kings and say, you're here for this purpose. And then Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit comes on him as a dove and empowers him to heal. And then write down Isaiah 61. If you ask Jesus, what's up with your ministry, man? He says, the Holy Spirit is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to release captives, to give sight to the blind. This is declaring and demonstrating. I ain't just empowered to tell you how to live. I'm going to show you what it looks like when God's in charge. 
So then in passage uh, verse 38 and for, uh, you see that God was with Jesus. He was healing and doing this. And this is what I mean when I'm saying we're supposed to declare and demonstrate the good news, the gospel of Jesus. I love going to The Rock, the community center we partner with. Once a month we do our clothes closet. And we do a clothes closet. We built that thing. We filled it with tons of our old clothes and even new clothes because another store heard about us before we even opened and said, hey, would you like tons of boxes of brand new clothes? And we said, uh, yes, please. And they said, well, would it be okay if we bring some more in a little bit? We said, uh, yes, please. The reason we do that, the reason we do that is because we believe that Jesus didn't go just tell people. He showed people what it looked like. He cared about the people no one else cared about. And so we're supposed to go out and do likewise. So we do things like the clothes closet. And I love going to the community center, especially when we meet with students. And I ask them this question. What would it look like if God were in charge in our neighborhood? And they said, well, that seems kind of spiritual. I said, man, I, don't, I really don't think so. Let me give you a hint. Do you think that everybody would have enough food to eat? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. They said, if God was in charge, we'd have, like, the clothes we need. We'd, have, we'd be healthy. I said, yes. And then one kid, one time last year, said there wouldn't be so much fighting. And I was like, bro, that is, I, that is Psalm 46. Be still and know that I'm God. I make wars cease. When God is in charge, when God has his way, our guns are only useful for being farm equipment because ain't nobody need to kill anybody. If God was in charge, there would be no racism. If God was in charge, there would be no sexism. If God were in charge, there would be no isms. There would just be the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we're supposed to be signposts that don't just say Jesus is Lord and he's reigning. We're supposed to say, see, and this is a little small piece of what it looks like. This is what we're supposed to be and do. Why? Because point four, he says in verse 40, yes, you crucified him, but God raised him. And this is echoing the suffering servant. Write down Isaiah 53 next to that point. It talks about how Jesus suffered, but then it echoes all the Psalms that says, but he's not gonna let his king see death forever. He's gonna raise him. And so you see all of these echoes. And then he says, by the way, Points five and six, God chose us as witnesses of Jesus. Then verse six, uh, point six, he says, God told us to preach Jesus. Because we know that he was crucified. You thought him a criminal, but God raised him as a king. And then finally in verse 42, point seven, just to highlight Peter's incredible sermon, he finishes it off by saying, God appointed Jesus as judge of the living and the dead. And here's the echo you can write next to that too is Daniel 7. You know what Jesus' favorite term for himself was in the Gospels? It was the son of what? Not God, the son of man. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel, centuries before Jesus, has this vision. He says, I saw one like a son of man, somebody that looked like a human. But he comes to the Ancient of Days, this God who's been forever. He comes up to God, and God says, Yours is an everlasting kingdom, and you're going to judge all peoples and all nations. And what it looks like when he's appointed to judge the nations is he's going to do so, like Peter said earlier, without favoritism. I don't care what your passport says. I care if you're a child of my Father. 
because Peter closes his sermon before the Holy Spirit closes it for him by saying this story that's filled with all these echoes of the big story of Scripture that is so enormous, he says all the prophets testify about him that what? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This isn't just the story to listen and tell your kids. This is a story you're invited into. God is at work in Jesus. Cornelius, you've heard the stories. Like you remember in the sermon, he's saying, you know, you know, you know. You hear me? How many of us know, right? Oh, God, yes, I know him. I believe in God. Yes, if you go ask anybody on the street, and studies still show overwhelmingly Americans will say, are you a Christian? Say, yes, what does it mean? Well, Jesus died for my sins. Great, tell me more. I mean, do you have a life with him? Do you have a relationship with him? No, but he died for my sins and whatever. You know the stuff, but are you hanging your whole weight on Jesus and finding the abundant life he gave you? This is what we're after. If you believe in Jesus, you receive forgiveness in His name. Peter will say elsewhere, there's no other name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved but Jesus. That's in Acts also. So what happens after Peter declares and demonstrates the good news? The Gentiles, those folk who we never thought were invited to the party, Respond and the Holy Spirit fills them and adopts them and unites a diverse family. Finally, the third reminder is this. As we walk in the Spirit, our job is to pay attention to God, to see and give witness to these divine moments, these moments of life. Our job is to pay attention and then respond appropriately. Look with me back in verse 45. How did the Jewish folk respond? Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, calls him the uncircumcised that came with Peter. So you will recall that Peter was staying just further down the coast, and he brought about six of these men with him because he had never set foot into a Gentile's house. That's like saying, hey, I was invited to go to you know, this shady place in this part of town, and I need some wingmen. So he brings them with him, and they are standing in the corner when the Holy Spirit comes on this sermon that they were probably thinking, I mean, I mean, yeah, it was pretty good, Peter, but man, this Holy Spirit, dude, thought it was awesome, I guess. And they're standing there in the back corner with their jaws on the ground. They're shocked because they're saying, them? Stop and think of someone. Who is the them in your life? Who is that person that may belong to another religion, that may have no whiff of religion, that just lives like an anti-religion? What is that one person who you have written off as a lost cause? I have them. Now, let's all say them at the same time. No, I'm just kidding. Let's not do this. I want you to imagine and see their face, see their name, and then I want you to take the next step and I want you to tonight, or even in this moment, if you don't want to listen to the rest of the things I have to say, I only got about five minutes anyway. If you don't want to listen to me, that's fine. Here's what I would rather you do. Pray for them. But here's how I want you to pray for them. I want you to imagine them at the altar on their knees before Jesus. 
I want you to imagine them with their hands up and tears streaming down their face, crying out to the name of Jesus that's above every name. I want you to imagine them on their knees before every knee would bow and tongue would confess. I want you to imagine in that place of prayer their tongues confessing, their knees bowing. I want you to imagine them going with us to Austin Street or our calling or to the clothes closet and serving alongside us. I want you to see them praying and crying out. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but if faith is the substance of the things unseen, give it some substance tonight. And then watch what happens. They move from a lost cause to a, well, maybe just not yet. And then you might begin to see them how God sees them as someone he longs for, as someone he dreams for, as someone he wants more than you would ever want them, more than you want your kids to know the life that Jesus has. He wants these people so desperately. And we've said it before, but I'll say it this way. There are no lost causes in the kingdom mission. Only those who God is welcoming who have not yet accepted the invitation. All those God is inviting who've not yet accepted the invitation. I've seen too many lost causes come to know Jesus to think that everybody can be written off. Not everyone will come. And you can pray your pants off, but God won't coerce them. I hate to tell you this, but this is how God works. And if you don't believe me, uh, just, just read the Bible. Read the story of God and humanity and see that God grieves and gives people over and he does it with sorrow and he does it with just a brokenness, but he will never force somebody. And if you believe that God would force somebody, then you've got a real big problem because I don't know anybody who would force anyone to do something and call it love. Love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. And if God could coerce and if God could cause everybody to do it, you've got a big problem because God, why don't you? Because what Scripture says and what, by the way, Peter will say in a letter he writes later, he says, God does not desire that any would perish. God wants all to know. So you've got some real things to consider. But know this, God will not coerce them because true love gives people freedom. Because I don't think my wife Amy, who, yes, thank you, Lord, for seven years, would really truly know and love and trust me if I could program her to love me for seven more. I'm not trying to wade into deep theological waters. I'm just telling you and trying to say, if it, if it is true and God, please give me grace, I just don't see him coercing people. But what we can do is partner with God to love them, to pray for them, and when God shows up, respond with him. What does Peter do? The Gentiles are speaking in tongues. And here's why that's so important. Sometimes, I want to tell you, I believe people speak in tongues. I, I believe that the whole fullness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available. But sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes, not all the time. Because I've seen too many people come to faith in Jesus and not immediately start speaking in tongues. But I wouldn't deny that they're following Jesus, that they've crossed over from death to life. 
But here's why it's so significant when it happens with Peter and all these Gentiles. Because the Jews are standing over there shocked because they're looking at them speaking in tongues and they have no choice but to say, whoa, 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 God is in this. You see? They're speaking in tongues because God wants to show them, look, 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 I worked even in those people and the outsiders. So Peter's paying attention and he says, well, dude, if they've already been baptized by the Holy Spirit, then we've got to baptize them with water. And here's what he does. He baptizes them now in the family name. It's no longer Peter, Jewish apostle. It's Peter, follower of Jesus. It's no longer Cornelius, Roman military officer. It's Cornelius, follower of Jesus. It's no longer Peter, who is this Jewish person, it is Peter who is filled with the Holy Spirit and a child of the King. It is no longer Cornelius who is on the outside looking in. He is now full-fledged child of Abba. Peter and Cornelius, when we began this series as we close, we said that both of them needed to take a next step. Peter needed to take a step toward the difference and the others. And so maybe is this you? Every week we've been asking you to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Is He inviting you to take a next step to go and serve and be with and hear from and listen to a different? Some person you would never invite to your home, would you invite them? Some person that you just feel the Holy Spirit tugging on you to talk to at work, would you do it? And would you surrender your expectations and successes? If you go corner somebody in the break room and you expect them to be speaking in tongues in five minutes after you talk to them, you may need to curb your expectations. But whether it's a baby step or a big step, I still believe there are steps to be taken. Cornelius had a next step to take too. He had to take a step to God through Jesus. God was at work on the fringes seeking Cornelius who was seeking him. But he wasn't quite there yet. He needed to hear and see the good news of Jesus. So would we be a people who is partnering with God, who is uniting different people from different people groups into one kingdom family? Would we, as Jesus said, go and make disciples, not just wait for them to show up, would we go to those relationships and neighborhoods and make disciples and then baptize them in the family name, Father, Son, and Spirit? And would we join him and these people in the power and unity of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Amen.